Open up in your Bibles to John chapter 6. I threw some outlines out there on your seats if you didn't get one on your way in. Not too many blanks in there. If you want to fill them out, you are welcome to. I wrote these down. If you wanted them, I figure I might as well write them. Usually we're a little more informal. But here at the end of the service, we're going to have an opportunity for you to give praise, thanksgiving unto God. So keep, uh, stay in mind of some things you want, to, you want to stay thankful for. But as you look at this season of thanksgiving, the enemy of our faith, and we, of course we always talk about Satan there. Now Satan does not target all of us. <clears throat> there are some that Satan himself will target. But most of us, he, he doesn't even mess with. But if we talk about Satan, we talk about his kingdom. And so there's others in his kingdom that will, that will do that. <clears throat> Satan is not, a, he's not everywhere. He can only be one place at a time. He isn't like God. He might, think he, he, he might like to think he is. But, but the enemy of our faith is out to take our thanksgiving and to replace it with something else. In John chapter 6, in verse 1, after these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him. He said to, said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Has God asked, ever asked you to do something that you thought was impossible? He knew all along how he was going to do it. Apparently he did this, has done this before. <laughs> Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that everyone may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Now, one of the first things that the enemy does is if he can get us to be unthankful and ungrateful for the things that, he, that we have, then one, one of the first ways we begin to look at the things we have is that, they, that we devalue it. We don't see the value in the things that we've got. He's got, he says right here, we've got this one guy, one little lad here, He's got five barley loaves and two small fish. Now, if you were by yourself and that was your lunch, you might be grateful. You might be thankful for it. But since it's a lunch to feed a multitude, we know the multitude, 5,000 people, their, their wives, their kids, and so forth. There's a lot of people there. But what are they among so many? So as soon as we become unthankful for the things that we have, we begin to see the things that we have and devalue them against what we need against what it is that we want, that they're not, they're not any good anymore. Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in a number, about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish. Now here's our Thanksgiving section of the, of the verse. As much as they wanted. How much should you eat tomorrow? <clears throat> You have scripture for it as much as you want. Right there. Jesus orchestrated this whole meal. He provided the food for them. And how much did he want them to eat? As much as they wanted. Now it goes on in the next verse. So when they were filled. When should you get up from the table? When you are filled. So you got two sections of the scripture here. One tells you eat as much as you want. And the other one says eat until you are filled. Aren't they great Thanksgiving verses right there? 
So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Now we're not going to get into this whole story today, but it is kind of interesting to notice this, that Jesus is going to feed 5,000 people with a few loaves and some fish. And then he gets concerned with leftovers. <laughs> well, there's a whole other reason why he's concerned with leftovers, but we can't get into all that. But anyway, you can, you can stew on that and think about that for a little bit. But here's the first thing that we come to. We, we devalue what we have when we stop being thankful for it, when we stop being grateful. So if the, the enemy can pull you into the realm of being unthankful and ungrateful for the things you have, one of the results is that you will devalue the things that you've got. How many times have you heard, certainly no one here, but people in other churches, in other states, in other countries, far away, have talked about, have you ever heard them talk about the gifts that God has given them and they begin to talk them down? Why do they talk them down? Because they have become unthankful for the gift that God has given them. They wish it was something more. They wished it was something different. I wish it was like brother or sister so-and-so, what they had. If I had that gift, oh. And so we begin to put down the gift that we have and we devalue it. What would you do with your kids if they devalued the gifts that you gave them? Would you give them more? <laughs> no, we kind of stop there, don't we? We don't, we don't necessarily think, but we, we want God to give us more. See, the enemy knows all he has to do is drag you into this place of being unthankful and ungrateful and he knows that certain results are going to have. One is going to devalue what it is that you got. You're going to see it as, as not effective, not good. Well, no one really cares if I do this or not. No one really is concerned. No one really, there's no real place for that. We were watching um, one of the uh, worship songs from Hillsong. And you, you know the um, Darlene, when she started out, did you ever hear her story? I heard her story um, oh, I can't think of the, the uh, young lady who, who tells this story. Really funny voice. She has a voice that when she says, she says when she orders pizza, they ask, is your mommy home? <laughs> She's a grown woman, has kids of her own, and when she orders pizza, they ask her if her mommy's home. And when you hear her voice, you would understand. I can't think of her name right now. It just escaped me. But she was talking, telling me the story of, this, uh, of Darlene. And you know Darlene was a secretary in the church? And and there was a, they were getting ready to record an album. And right before they were getting ready to record the album, the worship leader left. What are we going to do? We're, we're all ready to record an album. And so she stood up and said, well, I have some songs written. <laughs> and she, she had some songs, not just a song. She had some songs written. She was ready to go. And the opportunity came, and she plugged herself in, and you know what happened after that. But she was ready. Don't devalue what it is that you've got. Always be ready with what you have. What we have may be useful to God, but if it is useless in our eyes, how can we have faith in God using it? If we devalue what it is that we've got, I can't see it as valuable to God. Therefore, how can I have faith that God will use what it is that I've got? And if I don't have faith in it, what can happen? Nothing. And that's why the devil knows. Drag you into the place of being unthankful. You will devalue. One of the things is you'll devalue what you've got no more faith, no more action. All right, Second Kings chapter 4. We talked about this in our Wednesday night series not too long ago. But Elisha said to the woman, this is the widow, 
who had their great financial need. They're going to sell everybody into slavery. We're just looking at this one verse here. What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? She said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Now think about this. Can you imagine having a house with nothing in it? Nothing. Do you think that's a true statement? How many of you have a sofa at home? But you see, you got so comfortable with the sofa that sometimes we've been around that sofa for a long, we've had that sofa for a number of years. How many of you know every rip, every tear, every worn out spot in that sofa? And to you, because of your familiarity with it, it's not as valuable. And you may not see it. If somebody says, what are your valuable things? You may not list your sofa, your chair. You may not list some of the things that are in your house because to you, I've been around them. I don't really see them as anything. And I count it as nothing. So he says to her, what do you have in the house that we can use? I have nothing in the house except for some oil. Now imagine this, if you have a house and you have nothing but oil. Why would you have oil if you had no pans? If you had no flour? If you had no oven? If you had no table? Why would you have oil? So probably she doesn't have nothing. Probably, well, maybe the collectors came and they took everything out of her house. Well, if they're going to do that, wouldn't they take the house? Wouldn't the house have more value than all those, all those things? Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Now, see, she has this great financial need because her husband died, left us all this debt. Some, remember, we were going back over this. The debt may have come from this guy hiding some of the profits from the queen who was trying to kill him. That may be where he came, from the, came by the debt, but we're not getting into all the details of the story. Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Now, he locked onto that and used it. But are there things in our life that we are overlooking because I am no longer thankful for them? Are there things in my life that God has done, but I'm not thankful for them anymore? Can you think of days when God would bring you into a path of somebody and you would strike up a conversation and out of that conversation, things about God, things about uh, their uh, things that would help them out in their relationship with God or in their direction in life would come out. And you came away from there. You felt real good about that. Oh, God used me today. But that doesn't happen as much anymore. Well, do you see opportunities like that and just let them go by? Do we not strike up conversations with people like we used to? Do we see them as common every day? Do we see them as the couch that we sit on every day and has no value? So here's the second area. We discount it. I have it. It's not that I've devalued it. I just don't count it. I don't, I don't even see that. I look right, right past it. Because these things have become, first off, overly familiar, underproducing, or ever-present. It's always there. Whatever we have that's always there, sometimes we can just kind of take it for granted. It's always going to be there. What would increase the value to us but a restored gratefulness for their presence? Now, this kind of stuff can happen with friendships as well as with things or stuff. 
It can happen with a church. It can happen with a job. It can happen with the Holy Spirit in your life. It can happen with the Word. We can become so used to the Word being with us, it's always ever-present. The Holy Spirit is always ever-present that we just kind of discount it. We don't think of it a whole lot. Whatever we become comfortable with, we can become ungrateful for it and see its value in our life as little or even nothing. And we just go on by and we discount it. All right, the Exodus chapter 15, verse 21. Now we're jumping in the middle of the story, but it's a story everyone here knows. Verse 21, And Miriam answered them, Sing the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. You all know this. This is the last verse of the song that she was singing. And they sang this when? After they crossed the Red Sea, and the Red Sea folded up on the Egyptian army and drowned all the Egyptian army, and they came across that. The next verse, the next verse. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters at Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, what shall we drink? So think of it this way. We go from a place of an abundance of water. They came to the Red Sea and there was an abundance of water and they complained. And three days later, we come to a place of no water and then they found the bad water and they complained. So they complained when they had abundance of water. They complained when they had a lack of water. They complained when they had bad water. There's no, get, no getting around. There's no way to help these folks. <laughs> they go from complaining about an abundance of water to complaining about a lack of it. So here's the third. Here's the third thing that will happen to us when we become unthankful, when we become ungrateful for the things that are in our life. Remember, we discount them. We devalue them. Here's the third one. We see it as dead. We see it as having no life. When they saw the Red Sea and the abundance of water that was in front of them, did they see that Red Sea as having any function, any usefulness in their life? They saw it as an obstacle. When they came to the waters of Marah and they went to taste them, for whatever reason, they were bad and they had no usefulness in their life, they saw it as dead and they complained. They were not grateful. Romans chapter 4, verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now, neither one of those folks is dead. Abraham's very much alive. Sarah's very much alive. But as far as reproduction is concerned, having babies, they were dead. What they had was useless. When we become, and Abraham had become ungrateful, didn't he? Didn't, didn't his wife become ungrateful? Why haven't you given us this? You've given us all this other stuff, but we don't have this. Do you remember uh, even the king uh, a while back when we were in the series here on kings? And the king had all, he was the king of Israel. He had all this, this stuff, all these things, but all of a sudden he wanted a vegetable garden. I want a vegetable garden. And I can, he's got a castle, he's got a summer home, he's got vineyards, he's got money, he's got servants, he's got armies, he's got chariots, he's got gold, he's got silver, he's rich. But all of a sudden, he doesn't have a vegetable garden next to his summer home. 
He wants a vegetable garden next to his summer home. And his plans to get it foiled and he goes and he mopes on his bed. Crying like a baby. He has all that stuff but he became ungrateful because of what he didn't have. And we can see all the stuff that we have as totally useless. Dead. No good. So once unthankfulness sets in, here we go again, we can devalue or discount the things that we have. The blessings of God has put in our lives or we see them as dead. Now the enemy, the enemy of our faith, he does not care which direction you go in. He just wants to get you to this place of being unthankful and ungrateful because once you get there, you will go one of those three directions and you will neutralize your faith and therefore, you are not a problem for him. Because you're not going to use the blessings that God's given you because you don't see them as being any good. All he has to do is lead you to one place. One place. The place of being unthankful. The place of being ungrateful. That's all he has to do. And the rest is taken care of. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. Are we in the last days? I like how one person put it. We're in more the last days than the other people were before us. Right? Are we more in the last days? Obviously, we're, we're closer to them. Unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. But unthankful is right in there with these, these people. I put this, I, I think I wrote, left this in your outline for you. You will be hard-pressed to find anyone in the Word of God who fell from the place of grace who fell from that, that did not first become unthankful and ungrateful. You will be hard-pressed to find a single one that when they fell from the place of being born again, following after God, and went in another direction, did not become unthankful and ungrateful first. I'll give you a couple of examples on, on this. How about Judas? Judas was one of the twelve disciples. Judas was given charge of the money. Judas is one of the 12 guys that Jesus sowed into, took around with him, called specifically. And Judas became unthankful for his position, began to despise Jesus, began to second-guess him. Jeroboam was given the kingdom after it was taken from the house of David. And as soon as he was given that kingdom, he became unthankful and ungrateful to God for doing it. And he turned the entire nation into a place of idolatry. Going down and think of all the different ones that are in the, in the Bible. Saul, first king, anointed by God. What happened with him? Unthankful for the things that he had. Ungrateful for the position that he was in. And he fells. You will be hard-pressed to find a single one who fell from the place of grace, who did not first become unthankful or ungrateful. It is important that we maintain that place of being thankful and being grateful because it takes maintenance. If we just let it go, 
we will see our thankfulness and our gratefulness deteriorate. And our focus will become on the things that we don't have. The focus will become on the things we don't like. The focus will become on things that other people have that we don't. And bitterness can begin to to seep in. All these other things can begin to, to seep in. And pretty soon we find ourselves falling from the place of grace to another place. The devil knows the effectiveness of pulling people into the place of being unthankful and ungrateful. How good is it that we have a whole day, every year, to get our focus back on being thankful and being grateful? But one day of maintenance a year will not cover it. (laughs) We have to maintain it more than that. The Word of God talks about entering into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. He talks about it being a regular basis. This is something we ought to do on a regular basis. Are we continually thankful for the things that God has given us? We will find that as much as unthankfulness and ungratefulness is a breeding ground for all these other things, the realm of thankfulness and gratefulness is a breeding ground for everything that is good. See how much easier it is to walk in the love of 1 Corinthians 13 when we maintain a grateful attitude, when we maintain thankfulness. Oh, it's so much better. So this is what we want to do. So here's a question. What are you grateful? What are you thankful for? Now on Sundays we talk about events, we talk about things, we talk about blessings that God has done for us. But this is, what is it that's in your life on a regular basis? What is it that God has done for you? What is it that God has blessed you with? What is it that you are thankful and you are grateful for? Now the temptation comes that, well, I don't want to say that I'm thankful, grateful people or think I'm bragging. Have you ever thought that? Yeah. You know why that, that thought comes into you? Because that keeps you out of the place of being thankful and grateful. And pulls you into a place of being unthankful. Because the only reason that that's going on is because you've devalued it. You may not think about it, but you devalue it. Well, this isn't very important to other people. Other people don't see this as very good. It's okay for you to stand up. And th- what did Jesus do when he went into the temple? He opened the book and he started reading about what the Messiah was going to do. And he said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. (laughs) What's he saying? I'm here to heal the sick. I'm here to set the captive free. What did he do? He did it. Yeah, it's, it's it's not bad to be grateful and thankful for the things that God has put in your life and God has blessed you with. Anybody want to give praise, thanksgiving to anything that God has done. We'll give you some, some time. That's Cecil back there working on the sound. Getting us ready. Well, <coughs> I know Miss <coughs> Ethel, Ethel had spoken ab- on Sunday about being thankful for family. And, and for me, I, I really want, wanted, you know, thank God for my family uh, this season because um, it was just a couple of years ago that, you know, I was just here by myself. I did have extended family, but, you know, it's, you know, I was, you know, in Virginia somewhere by, you know, by myself, didn't have, and I used to always sit and, wonder, and you know, you know, kind of cry out to the Lord that I'm lonely, I wish I did have some family. And then eventually, now I'm flooded with family, and sometimes you're like, I just want to be by myself. <laughs> but, but you know, you know the teachings um, that the pastor has been teaching, and you know what Miss Ethel said on Sunday makes you to you know sit back and think. And you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for that they're there. I'm so grateful for what they do for me, and and all the sacrifices they've made for me. And I, I'm just extremely 
thankful to God for um, setting everything up that now I am flooded with love from my family. <laughs> so, amen. That's, that's what I have. Yes, I'm thankful and I'm grateful that I know my Lord as a healer. I know him as a healer. He is Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. Uh, this has been um, a rough year for us. But praise be to God. Like I said, my God is a healer. Praise be to God. My, my husband is doing better. His cancer is totally gone. Praise God for that. And uh, and also as my provider, he's Jehovah Jireh. I know him as my provider because he has provided uh, so many uh, financial things for us this year. So I just want to thank him. I just want to praise him, give him all the praise, and give him all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I guess what I'm most thankful and grateful for is all that I'm learning during this process in this period. Since I retired in 2013, I, I, it's almost been two years, and I have just learned a great deal through it all in terms of uh, what to do, what not to do, listening to the Holy Spirit as he guides me through because there have been times when you know, you just kind of bang your head up against the wall and go, what the heck? You know, but I mean, I've just learned so much. Still have a lot to learn, but it I'm just in awe, I guess, of God's keeping and the fact, you know, that scripture that says, thank you, that Jesus, when he got to the tomb, he said, I thank you, God, that you hear me always. You know, and I mean, God hears me always, you know, and it might not be what I want him to say, but he hears me always. And the answers come. And like I said, they may not be what I want them to be, but they come and I learn and I'm I'm continually learning. And I'm just really, really grateful for that. And I I find that I learn from anyone. I've kind of picked that up because, you know, Pastor told us years ago, you know, that you don't shut people out because you don't like the package that it may come in, you know, and, or you think you can't learn from that person because they don't quite fit the mold. And I've gotten beyond that, and I've learned some tremendous things from people. And I'm really grateful for that, and I'm really, really thankful for that. Hated to get up because I don't want to cry. <laughs> um, on the way over here, I was saying to Mom, you know, today I was 12 years ago. I was preparing for my wedding. Yes, tomorrow would have been my anniversary. And it's so easy to become melancholy and look at the sad part of things. But I have to look and I have to say, thank God, because... By marrying David, by coming here to Pennsylvania, God opened so many doors for us. And although he died three and a half years into our marriage, and I felt like my life was over, the Lord showed me, he said, you're still here, and I still have a plan for you. And 
I refuse to let the enemy turn my blessings into a curse. He took what the enemy meant for evil and he turned it around for good. He's given me so much. And one of the things is this wonderful church family. And I'm so grateful for the support and the love I've found here. And I'm so grateful for all he's done. I would have never imagined that at this point in my life I would have had four books published and another one on the way. I would have never imagined that I would have had a job 10 minutes from my house that I love and that I'm happy and and that God's moving in my life and he's teaching me and he's blessing me and watching over my family. And I just pray that the boys, David's boys, would also come to know the Lord and, the, and his love and, and my daughter-in-law. And I'm just so grateful, you know, instead of focusing on the negative end of it, you know, the loss end of it, focus on all the blessings that have occurred over the years. And I'm just very grateful. The blessings that you have brought onto our lives. If we've ever become unthankful, ungrateful in the past, began to devalue, see them as dead, just see that what we have is doesn't work. Father, get us back into that place of being grateful again and thankful for what you have blessed us with. And our faith can mix with those things that you have put as blessings in our lives and they can grow. Thank you for the help that you give us in our walk, in our life, and the light that you shed on our way. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, thanks all for coming out and Thanksgiving.